Now, what am I good at? I can shred on the drums, and I'm a marketing whiz. All right, welcome back to Reel It In. Today, I'm joined with Oren Orange Chauvel. Orange just asked you how to pronounce your last name and already already beefed it. Um, yeah, <laughs> Oren has 10 years of experience in brand building uh, and advising e-commerce brands in luxury and CPG. He also has a sick newsletter product people where he drops in your inbox and gives you awesome insights in the product world. Oren, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Uh, coming to you live, live from Orange County and excited to be uh, talking product, talking branding and seeing where it goes. Yeah, Orange County weather sounds nice on this cold New York day. Um, today, we're going to be talking about product development, brand building, how marketers can understand product building better. Um, but before we do that, for those that aren't acquainted with you yet or haven't got your TikToks on their For You page like I have, um, could you give our listeners a quick rundown on how you got into product dev and like a little elevator pitch of, of what you're doing today? Yeah, for sure. So um, my my actual degree was in design and, and sociology. So I had a little bit of a background in design. I started as a designer agency side, like a graphic designer, ended up becoming a creative director. This was in New York and kind of lifestyle products like like liquor and CPG. Uh, then I, I moved over to tech and worked in marketing and, and kind of in, in high tech for a long time. We helped build the consumer camera drone category uh, over a couple of years and bring that into, into retail. Um, and then started a product development agency with some friends of mine who I worked in that industry with uh, called Gwyn Partners, where we do high-tech product development. And now that's about a 45-person contract engineering agency in, in Austin, where we really focus on robotics and autonomy. And now that that business is kind of you know rolling and, uh, and it's successful, I also work on just a number of other projects um, you know, in all kinds of different you know worlds, whether that's you know toys or CPG, uh, you know, beverage, fashion across the board, and then yeah, yeah, and then make content about product development, this kind of modern content you know world that we're in, and you know, and excited to be working on different projects and different industries every day, and then sharing as much as I can on TikTok and the newsletter. Yeah, I know the TikTok is great. Uh, as we we're talking off mic before, uh, I've got a couple of your videos before, but uh, super fascinating, especially like if you're if you're new to this world of product development, like you break it down in a, a super straightforward way um, that I think is is really helpful for for guys like me who who don't really understand this this type of stuff. Yeah, and, that, and that's what's uh, it's funny. Um, I, I worked pretty hard to uh, I had like basically a hundred bad videos before I started making good videos, uh, and what I really found is that yeah, it's it's about like the shorter that it is, right? 15 seconds to 60 seconds. How do I just establish credibility and then present one concept or idea and like, and then just keep it rolling. But I think it's a, it's a wonderful platform. Um, I know in my bio, I, I generally say 10 years of experience, but uh, I do that to not sound ancient, but like I have like much longer than that, but coming at it as like an older person has been an interesting experience. Yeah, for sure. I mean, a lot of people think it's a young person's game on TikTok, but I don't know. Some of my favorite creators are uh, in their 60s and 70s. So, uh, you know, some some older older people, uh, you know, find a, a nice little hobby later in life. It's a it's a beautiful app. Yeah, com com completely. And um, and you can learn it. Yeah, you can learn anything you want on there. So I love it. Yeah, let's dig into uh, in into the, the meat and potatoes here. I, uh, as I've said, like I'm not familiar with product development, especially like physical product development, like I work in software. So any like product dev uh, experience or knowledge I have is, is based in that. Um, I'm sure you have some like hot takes uh, <laughs> generally on, on product dev, but let's start at a super high level. Like what makes a successful product? If there was like two or three things that are always have to be true for a product to be successful. Like what are those boxes you're checking? Yeah. And so I think uh, a couple things and like, there's so many products and so many avenues and things now that there's 
a hundred ways to make something successful. But I think the ones to really narrow in on is uh, creating a great user experience in a niche and basically saying that, okay, and by niche, I mean, just zoning in on a target customer base that seems almost incredibly small. It's like, all right, I, I want to really service you know, chefs who are cutting onions mostly, or, you know, are like a, I want a certain, if I'm doing a, a hair product, it's like a super specific type of hair, or if I'm doing a sports brand, it's like, we're really zoned in on lacrosse. It's like, what do you, how do you establish a really specific area and offer those people something that they don't have that's really well tailored to them and the message is tailored to them. And there's a number of ways to do that, right? And I basically have a chart when I work with, you know, clients and projects where it'll be like, all right, well, do you want to offer a cheaper alternative to something on the market? Do you want to offer a luxury alternative that offers a better experience? Do you want to make it more extreme in its branding? Um, do you, you know, like, what are all these different ways you can think about how you make something better than what exists already? And I think for anyone approaching any category, it's, you know, it really starts with, okay, I want to make something in this industry. How do I explore that niche, buy a bunch of things and really think critically about what could be done better? Yeah. I, so you need like a, some sort of angle to differentiate yourself. I always think, um, and I, are you familiar? Cause you, I know you're big on TikTok. You gotta be familiar with like the Stanley cup. You know what I'm talking about yeah. with the handle yeah. and the, 100%. um, yeah. And it always, water bottles are always fascinating to me because it seems like there's a new D to C water bottle brand every single day. And it's like, what, is and because there's yeti there's stanley there's hydro flask and like they all keep your drinks cold and hot the same amount of time and it seems to me like they're just competing on on brand at the end of the day like they're all high quality products but like if you're going to go with one over the other they're similar price points like um yeah. well, they're competing I mean, on his brand yeah well i think there's and so there's ways to differentiate that are based on the product and then there's also ways to differentiate that are based on who you're marketing to you can take the exact same product and say i'm making this specific to you know, Polish people or whatever it is to try and get to a specific niche. Uh, and then there's also channels. And I think what the Stanley one being interesting is they leverage short form video better and faster than the competition. And they offer the same exact product, but they took advantage of a distribution channel without a superior product. And you start to look at that matrix of how do you differentiate? If you can't find anything, like I can't make it cheaper, I can't make it better. Then it's like, all right, do you have an advantage in distribution? And that can come from, I'm going to take this into mass retail, or I'm going to take this into niche retail in a way that other people aren't. Or is there a uh, an angle of like a new platform, the way people are seeing TikTok? And I think you know any of those is a way to win. And the water bottle market is a perfect one because it's cyclical. People are always buying one, and you're not going to stand out. You know, Hydroflask really focused on hey, like this the concept of a product experience. Like hey, we're going to keep your thing cold for like two years later, <laughs> you know. And I think that's the <laughs> only real product differentiation we've seen in that niche, right? And Yeti essentially at its beginning, really focused on the Southern market in a way that was really unique and crushed it. And that's a, in my mind, I talk to people all the time about this. I was living in Texas prior. I'm like, there is so many and uh, brands and angles and opportunities that choose to market themselves essentially to the coast instead of endure themselves to a massive chunk of America that can be done really through just marketing attention, focus, and, you know, and the type of content you produce. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, especially with Yeti, like they did go for that Southern market. And then I, it, it trickled up to a lot of like, um, people in the North who like want to like attach themselves to that culture a little bit, like they're, you know, yeah. fans of the culture and that helped like, uh, Yeti really like spread. Well, if you attach yourself to a, like a Heartland product or a, whether it's like the Rust Belt or the South or whatever that is, that is the mainstream. There are so many Americans in those things that you can become mainstream from that, that it actually filters out to the coast. I actually think that's a better approach. It's one I'm working with. A, I work with a brand that's a, it's like a Western themes women's brand. And that is like hundred percent the case. It's like, they're very popular in all these cities. And then in like the cyclical trends come where that's actually popular on the coast and they get a boost from it. 
Yeah. Just generally like Western cowboy is so hot right now. Yellowstone. People the, are, oh yeah, when it's, and then that happens like every three years, you know, yeah. and then, but in a good part of America, it's just there all the time. Yeah. Um, so like pivoting over to like the actual product development process, um, how, like, so you go through this, uh, this exercise, you figure out, um, like an angle you want to take, how are you then like going to validate that new product? How are you going to like, make sure, um, that there is like a, a need for it or that it is resonating? Like what's that process look like? Yeah. And that, well, that's where I think we have all these really unique opportunities in our current era. And the, the two really unique ones are access to the global supply chain through Alibaba and Pietra and some of these aggregators, which just didn't exist like 20 years ago. You couldn't just go find a hundred factories to quote against each other. And then the second is being able to test in short form video. Like if you asked me that question like eight years ago, I'd be like, well, you, you know, you're going to get two or $3,000. You're going to set up these type of Facebook campaigns and you're going to try and validate if you can pay enough money to reach people to get it at like a reasonable cost level. And then you need to do another validation to see if you can scale that. But with short form video now, it's like the easiest time ever to validate a product because if you go, no matter what your expertise is, and you go make a hundred videos with one sample of your product and you use just yourself or yourself and a couple people of different backgrounds, looks and feels, and you just make one of all the different popular content types for a month or two and you place that out there, uh, you put it on TikTok, you put it on YouTube Shorts, you put it on Instagram Reels, put it on Facebook Reels, uh, put it on Twitter as well. Like you're going to know if you have resonance because you know, it might take you 30 videos or 40 videos. But if you go through that whole thing and no one's interested or hits you up on how to buy it or anything like that, you know you have nothing. But if you know on your 10th video or your 40th video, you're like, oh, I got a million views and I got you know 800 email subscribers then you're like, oh, I have a thing. And so I think that's what people need to do. And I think the thing that most folks aren't focused on now is they'll go say, oh, I did three videos and I don't have product market fit. And it's like, all right, well, like the real answer is 100. And guess what? Like you can do that with your phone. They don't have to be high quality or you can hire a UGC creator to do it. A lot of them are really cheap right now. Uh, and I think that that's the best way to validate. It's like, do I put content out about it? And do people actually, does it resonate? And do people want to buy it? Yeah, I mean, you're so right. It's like becomes so easy with like Alibaba and all these people taking advantage of it, like drop shippers and stuff like that. Like, you know, 20 years ago, you just literally couldn't do that. It would take a large investment and a lot of grunt work to like even manufacture one product. And now it's like, just figure out what uh, is a popular item and go to Alibaba and and then just uh, or if you want to make more an individual thing, you know, I think like a lot of people, you know, think of AliExpress and drop shipping and things like that. But then it's this is every the the glorious part about Alibaba is it's every factory in China essentially, or let's say seventy percent of the factories in China are on there, no matter what they make, and a lot of them focus on custom items, and they'll have a bunch of sample things out there. But this is how all the things in the world get made. And if you don't want to use them, there's ThomasNet for the US, there's Europages for Europe, uh, Pietra kind of aggregates a bit of all of them. Uh, and so it's just like that, having that at your fingertips is just like such a superpower and having all those people knowing they have to compete with all these other factories out there and offer lower MOQs or offer more consultative service. Like I, it's, I think it's part of this concept that all these large brands we grew up with are basically being splintered away by these all these little micro 0.01% of market share from all these smaller brands, that's only going to continue because the barrier to entry is now so low. And the real thing that matters is distribution. And that's also being made easier because of short form video. Yeah, I know the, the barrier to entry being so low is like, I don't know if I'm someone who wants to start a brand, uh, start selling a certain product, like I'm intimidated because there's probably so many in my space that like, you really need to 
figure out like what your competitive advantage is going to be if you can even figure it out. Well, that's, it's it's find that niche. It's literally going through those things. I do think there's a lot of you could say, hey, I'm going to be better at one channel than everybody else. I'm going to be better at Google Ads. I'm going to be better at TikTok. I'm going to be better at regional retail. Is a super underrated one. Like if you make a product for cycling and it's like and you're in the Pacific Northwest, it's like cool. Can I get into 20 Pacific Northwest like Oregon, Seattle bike shops to sell this product and support that really well because no one else is really doing that. Like there's all these angles and really it's about running down that list of angles and being like, what will I actually execute on? And um, yeah, and, and I just kind of keep working on master lists of this stuff every day. Yeah, I know. I'm, you seem definitely like a student, a forever student of, <laughs> of the game here. What well, is ever shifting? I feel like that's now every career, right? Whether that's software development or product development or any of those things, it's like, okay, all the, the tools are moving so fast. And and if you, if you at some point say you get curmudgeon about it and you're like, wow, I need to learn that new thing. Like, you know, to, we were chatting off camera before this, but I had this video about AI. I was immediately curmudgeon about this. I'm like, this is never going to be like a thing. Uh, it's not going to impact me. And I'm like, God damn it. Like, just like everything. If I had just gotten on TikTok a year earlier, which I hadn't thought would be a thing, I'd be three times the size I am now. Like, it's just like, how much can you just find out if there is value in these, explore it. I probably spent 10 hours exploring AI and now feel like I have a decent understanding of where this could go and what it means for me. And I think people just need to adopt that attitude, even though it's natural for people to not embrace change. Yeah, you brought it up. So let's get into it now, the the AI thing. Cause like for me, I'm mainly in content marketing. So I've been using chat GPT for a lot of, a lot of shit recently. Um, it's sick. Um, if you use it correctly, I'm Really want to get your take on like AI in product dev, uh, where you see it fitting. Do you think we're close? Do you think it's viable now? Yeah, well, I think it, look now it's a great tool for uh, for inspiration for uh, like ID. So basically, if you're like, all right, cool, I, I need to find the look of a new headphone. I want to get 40 different approaches or angles or interesting things. That's in, at like the mood boarding stage. It's useful. Um, I it's useful for like social content and things like that, product product photos, things of that nature. But that's really that's really the core. Um, I, I think that for it to really be useful in product development, it would need to be able to have both a visual understanding and then an understanding of materials and what's possible and be able to take those levels of inputs. But I do think that's where it's headed because why wouldn't it be if you look at, okay, I can 3D print a thing with like a form labs or somebody like that. And they have these 10 materials, they have these processes and I want to create thing X. And then if AI can take the inputs of what are those materials and processes that are capable of? And here's what I'm trying to achieve and then give me things. That's where it gets really interesting. I don't think we're there, but I at least want to be aware enough that I think that that's the possibility. So, you know, we can think ahead of these things as they happen. Yeah. I mean, it's such a powerful tool for like inspiration. Like you said, that's what I get the most use out of it is like, you know, you have creative blocks, you get writer's block, you get, you know, product developer blocks. That's a term I just created. Um, and uh, it, it just helps you like brainstorm and, and get an idea down on paper that you can build off of. And that's always the hardest part is getting started. Yeah. And I think that like right now I use Pinterest constantly. I, Pinterest is my most used app by <laughs> far. And uh, it's just so useful because it has this feature where like you create boards. And I have like hundreds of boards. I have boards for materials and by project and by you know idea. And it has this thing where it's like, see more like this basically. And you click it and it's like, they give you extremely accurate, like, okay, like here's other industrial design of phones or whatever it is. And so it's like, but that is always someone else's ideas being shown to you. And AI is still someone else's ideas, but they're remixed essentially. And so it's another step of inspiration where now we'll be like, okay, cool. Just take some of those images we like in Pinterest, pop them into mid journey and just see what comes of it and kind of see where that goes as, as kind of an extension of ideas that we wouldn't normally have in the creative process. Yeah. It's just like adding like, 10 people to your team, basically. Um, yeah, it's just really, it's an interesting tool. I look at all these things as tools, right? Um, and it's just, it's good to know what you have in your toolkit. 
Yeah. Um, so want to pivot a little bit more to like the marketing side of things, because um, I'm curious about how you view the relationship between product and marketing. So in my world in SaaS, uh, there's usually like a product marketing manager that yep. serves as kind of the go between between both those teams. Um, how do you see that relationship working uh, in like CPG luxury? Um, is it usually a good relationship, usually bad? Like what makes a, what makes a successful partnership there? Yeah. And one thing I've noticed is they don't have traditional like, uh, yeah, like product marketing people where it's like, Hey, my job is to really relay the features of this and then connect the product team and like the tickets. And like, it's not quite to that extent, but I think it should be. Um, Cause I think what really happens is, in a lot of these other industries, they'll develop a thing and they'll be like, how can we differentiate it? I really think from the beginning, like those marketing points, like we talked about, it's like, okay, if we're going to go cheaper, what's the angle? And then how are we going to then shook? And then what does that mean for our content strategy, et cetera? And so I do think that just like product and marketing need to be super intrinsically tied together. And, um, you know, I think that we see a little bit less of that in some of these other niches, but I think that's hundred percent the way that it has to be. But I think now the way I've liked to talk about marketing recently is really thinking about it as um, more like telling a narrative story and saying, okay, from the beginning, like here are our pillars and the points that we want to get across. And then almost looking at like a TV show or a movie and saying, who are the characters that are going to tell that story? Whether it's our founders or our UGC creators or influencers or whatever it is, what are the, you know, what are the enemies we're positioning ourselves against? What are the events that are going to happen? Like we're going to have this launch or attend this show, or we're going to do this collaboration. Like how does that overlap with other franchises or other people doing that kind of thing? What are the channels it goes on? And I think that that really needs to be happening from the beginning of the product development phase, because building in public is so absolutely important right now, um, where it's like, you have to be, from the moment you have your idea, you need to be sharing it out there. Like people are always like, they're afraid their ideas are gonna get stolen, things like that. Like your ideas are gonna get stolen absolutely anyway. And so I think that um, the idea that we should be like telling this and working through this needs marketing at that level of involvement from the beginning and short form video from the beginning, because the audience that you're going to build from telling that story is just going to be really impactful when you're launching. Yeah. In, in my experience, I've been in situations where the product development team will make a new tool, a uh, new product, new feature um, without kind of like looping anyone in and it's like here it is go out and and market this sell this new tool and it's like you can't find pr product market fit like the the message isn't resonating you know you can try a bunch of different angles but it's like maybe if if marketing was more involved in the beginning this this tool wouldn't have even been in, uh developed wouldn't have been created because well, yeah there's just like you can't see the uh because like that marketing person could say i, I there's you know there's no market for this or we well, can't, we can't sell this. Feedback. So do you yeah. point about, I know you work a lot with connecting creators with these brands. It's like, if you have a creator from inception of idea in sampling and they're telling that story right away and then they're being like, Hey, this is the feedback I'm getting from consumers as I tell the story. And that's tied into your loop of finishing that product. Like that level of feedback is again, one of those things that just did not absolutely did not exist, you know, five years ago. And so let's get that in the cycle. Let's use that to our advantage. And I do think that brands should be having a creator, whether it's, a member of the brand or a third party, like from like R and D phase. Yeah, I know we're seeing a lot more with brands, uh, product sampling to creators, um, just for like reviews and honest feedback, not even for, for content, like before it hits the shelves, because they just want to understand like, how are these creators who see so many different products in like, for example, like a lot of them will work with hundreds of cosmetics brands. Like that's the industry that you see a lot of it in. So sampling it out to these creators that have worked with so many brands and seen so many different products and, and know how to like the best position it in their content, uh, giving feedback because 
these people are really on like the front lines of, of this world, uh, of this short form video world. And that's the way, you know, a brand is going to be able to sell this product. So getting their feedback is absolutely crucial to these brands. Completely agree. Yeah. So, um, we, we were talking a little bit about short form video. Um, super curious, like what your take is on the mix there between like investing like heavily in UGC versus like super expensive photo shoots, commercials, things like that. Like, how do you see those working together? Is it different for every product? Is there one that like brands should be focusing on more? Um, I think I would I would take the time to do at least one really nice photo video shoot so you can test it on your like website and product detail pages versus more organic content. But when it comes to your daily, weekly it's just extremely hard to execute on brand, like high quality content at scale. And there's brands that do it. ASRV is a good example. Um, there, you know, there's a few people that really have like, they take the time, they've told their brand story, right? But like, I think that that is just a, a large hill to climb, especially for new brands. And I would just focus on making more UGC or more just casual content. You know, I, I tried this when I launched my, my TikTok because I was making videos, I was having them edited. I thought that would resonate better. And then you know what resonates better is like me in front of a green screen, like wherever I happen to be. And I think that it's kind of worth testing that. But I think what we're going to find is a lot of it's going to be that unproduced content. And if it is like a, a produced thing, it doesn't need to be some crazy high production thing. I think where that comes into play is if you have the distribution mechanism and you have something high produced that's viral enough that it can like push you out farther because of its amazingness. And I don't think there's many examples of something of that that actually exist, then then do it. But if not, you know, focus on making more things that are affordable to you and staying consistent. Yeah, it's interesting. It's kind of flipped because if you think of like the AI we've been talking about, all the tools that exist, all the softwares, all the editing tools, you can make something like high production without spending a lot these days. And now now the harder thing is like creating these rough casual videos. That's what's become harder because that is like that takes time and dedication and consistency. Um, yeah. And well, it's a people, weird flip flop there. I think people work too hard at it. I think really the uh, and this is kind of what I've learned as I've now you know getting into the hundreds and hundreds of videos is that like most of my videos now I don't spend more than 15 minutes on anything ever. And I think where the, uh, and it's like get, getting that approach to it and then be like, okay, well, how do you set yourself up to, for success to do that? And really that's a, okay, having somebody, whether it's you or somebody else, spending time on concepts, being like, here's 50 or 20 concepts, which is really just based on what other people are doing on TikTok. And then doing your pre-production, which is like my pre-production is screenshotting four things from Pinterest, essentially, you know, or from wherever website I'm talking about. And for brands, it may be, you know, something simple or setting up a set. But like, if your goal is really, hey, we're going to create two or three things a day and we're not going to spend more than 20 minutes on them then that's an hour spending on content every day. And if you're telling your marketing team that you're going to spend an hour on content every day, they'd be shocked. And I think that is what the formula is. And if your marketing team is literally spending an hour creating, they're spending an hour or two prepping, and then the rest of the day is doing their other activities. Like, I think that is kind of the the way to approach that, you know, this, this angle now. Yeah, I mean, I'd say for anyone, you definitely know this, for content creators, for brands, it's consistency over quality, like every single time, because you're going to get insights, you know, if you're consistently posting every day and even if they're rough and if they're if the video with the content is really different every time or at least you have enough diversity in the types of content you're doing you're going to get insights and oftentimes like be surprised at what performs well but you just got to like do the reps you got to be consistent in, in and the, creating the that content i think you mentioned is what's key is that like it's about experimenting in that content set that you have it's like okay i'm not making the same thing or following the same thing we're trying just a ton of different things different topics different personalities that's why i see people fall into too much is they just make the same video again and again and again and if it works awesome but also just keep throwing things at the wall 
And I think that uh, if you're able to do that and say, we're also just experimenting very frequently inside this, and there's so many ways to experiment. You can just go through your For You feed and be like, there's so many types of videos. Um, I think that's powerful. And that and, and the repurposing of video across all these different networks is like, the fo I think just basically the plan for success. Like doing that and scaling that as big as you can get it is such a better use of time and funds than any level of advertising right now. Like I recommend brands, especially when they're starting out, even bigger brands who are just spending tons of money. It's like build your organic video and retarget. And like everything else is like only things that have maximum ROAS. Yeah, definitely. I know there's like, especially given like the, the advertising landscape right now, I mean, it's much safer bet. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's so much more affordable. It's, it's almost crazy to think about because like, because people say, well, oh, I can only post so much on my account. I'm like, yeah, well, what if you had 10 accounts? Like, what if, yeah. you know, like, what if those hours were multiplied, you know, that we just talked about? Like, if you wanted to fill all eight of those hours of content, you had three brand accounts with different voices or personalities. Like, the scalability of organic content right now is people aren't thinking outside the box, and they should. Yeah. Um, I always like to end on this question. Um, it's a very big galaxy brain type of question. Um, <laughs> so five years from now, we want to figure out who are the winners and who are the losers. So five years from now, and you can look at this through a, a product lens, a marketing lens, a TikTok lens, like whatever you want to do, what's going to separate like the winners from the losers? What is that one or two things that they're going to be doing differently that helps them uh, succeed? Um, I, I think it is people who have taken their in real life strategy um, as seriously as their online strategy, uh, basically. And by that, and, and also looked at it with that same degree of in like, of innovation or out of the box thinking and been like, all right, how do we have, how do we get in front of eyeballs that are on the ground walking into retail or around our areas and neighborhoods with the same interesting, it kind of innovative look as what we've done online. I think those are going to be the companies that are really interesting. I think the pure DTC thing is completely dead. I think the pure big legacy retail is also like, you know, in a complicated place. And I think there's going to be some innovative things that come out of people who are able to do both well. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, we're already seeing it. Like everyone during pandemic was, you know, digital revolution, whatever. A couple of years after we're already seeing like in real life is the way and that's what people prefer. And that's, what's going to continue to like, garner the most attention and, and most people's time. Yeah. And I think there's just a lot of opportunity there now with the way leases are structured and working together with other brands and the fact that big retail wants to bring new customers or online customers into their stores with new experiences. Is like, how are you thinking outside the box of that? Well, yeah, for sure. Well, Oren, it was so great having you. This was an awesome conversation. Um, we'll link to your, your socials and your website in, in the show notes. People can find you, but is there anything else you want to plug right now? Anything exciting coming down the pike? Uh, no, not no, not much. Just, yeah, the uh, procworld.xyz is where I have the proc, product people newsletter, and I'm Oren Meets World on, on all social, and that's all. Awesome. Yeah. Well, we'll catch you next time on Reel It In. Thanks so much, Oren.